0: I'm the editor of Film Stories magazine, and a very warm welcome to the end of the year episode of the Film Stories podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, <clears throat> I literally had to fly in from outer space. Come with me, and I
1: show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
0: In movies, movies that had stories.
1: And the story just sucks them in. This is just the beginning. Oh, we would be honored if you would join us.
0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Film Stories with Simon Brew. I am Simon Brew, as always, there's absolutely everything you need to know about me. The aim of the podcast though, well, it's generally to talk off the stories of films and I talk about production stories, development stories, marketing stories, release stories, all the ingredients really that go towards making the films that we know and sometimes love just that, the films that we know and sometimes love. But with all that preamble I'm doing something slightly different for this episode of Film Stories because Film Stories isn't just a podcast it's a print magazine it's a website and all sorts of other mischief as well and there's a team of people who work on it. And so for the end of the year episode of Film Stories, I've got that team of people together to stop fighting with each other, to talk about the movies and uh, the movies of this year, really, that we really cared for and to highlight some of the ones that we've missed out on. So it's as simple as that. I'm going to jump straight into that conversation, which I cunningly set up just the other side of this little clip from a 2023 film
2: our flight has gone down this is an emergency survive together
0: or die alone we're getting off this island hello and uh, a very warm and slightly unfortunate welcome to the end of year film stories podcast now there is someone who works uh, in and around the world of film stories called emma who decided it would be a great idea that instead of just having me go on the final episode of the year on the podcast, I invite all the other people who've worked on film stories. So first of all, I've got Maria. Maria is our film and TV editor. Say hello, Maria. Hello. Excellent. There is John, who is uh, who does all sorts of things, but at the moment he's trying to stop a dog getting through the door behind him. Hello. Uh, there's lauren lauren's our contributing editor and lauren is already laughing uh which suggests she's going to be bringing more of her mucky films to this particular podcast hello uh james is is hiding professionally behind a microphone and obviously has all the highbrow things for us to talk about hello Simon. and then covered in sawdust is uh film stories online editor mr ryan lambie have you still got sawdust on you loads loads of sawdust hello so because we don't want this to go on for 54 hours all we've each been allowed to do is come up with three films that we want to talk about that we've really liked this year i have to get out of the way straight away that james harvey has tried to break the rules just so he can go on about the pope's exorcist so would you like 10 seconds on the pope's exorcist because clearly nothing else can match that
2: Thank you, Simon. Uh, yes, The Pope's Exorcist is a film where Russell Crowe plays uh, an exorcist and his boss is the Pope. That's and it. <laughs> it's more like Indiana Jones than The Exorcist. And it's the film of the year. Thank you. It's the film of the year. It's better than it's Indiana Jones. Better than It is but It is the best Indiana Jones film this year, and it is called
0: The Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> so anyone who's been dialing into this looking for deep insight that they otherwise wouldn't get will no doubt be bowled over when you said that he is an exorcist for the Pope.
2: He is an exorcist for the Pope. That's what he says. And he makes little chirping sounds uh, at nuns. like a, He pretends to be a bird, uh, makes little chirping noises at the nuns, and the nuns all laugh and run away.
0: There were nuns in one of your choices this year, James. I think Wonka has a flying nun in it. Isn't, isn't Wonka on your list? Wonka is on my list, Simon. Probably the
2: newest film that we're going to talk about, I imagine, because it came out yesterday. It is directed by Paul King, who you may know from Paddington and Paddington Two, and also very importantly, it's written by Simon Farnaby, who's having a very lovely time at the moment. He's he co-wrote Paddington Two, and he also wrote Phantom of the Open, which was a very nice Mark Rylance golf comedy from last year, and it's lovely and, and it's very nice.
0: So, have any of the t- anyone else uh, watched Wonka? Are we going to allow James's choice
1: through? Yes, I've seen it.
0: So Ryan, you when you saw Wonka, you decided it was Scarface.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 about um, a, a person coming from overseas to a strange, very colourful land and selling a very addictive product and uh, smashing the local cartel, which is in league with the police. Yeah, so yeah, it's kind of Scarface, but with a bit more singing and dancing. Just a bit. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I rewatched Scarface last night actually. And, and, you know, it's got lots of 80s montages, which could be like its equivalent of song and dance scenes. Because they've been talking about, you know, making another Scarface for years. I think they should actually just make remake it as a musical. Do you think Simon
0: Farnaby should write it and Paul King direct? Why not? What's the worst could happen? <laughs> so I think we're letting Wonka through. I I, I I think you're allowed that. Maria, go on, hit us with one of your three choices.
3: I'm going to go with Sisu, which is a Finnish film about... One man going against a literal army of Nazis, and I mean, do I say more? Do I need to say more?
0: Has it got nuns in it?
3: I don't recall any nuns, out, but someone it? does get hit face with a landmine in like the first ten minutes, so it's a winner in my eyes.
0: And is this just because you're you're Finnish that you're you're going for that? Is that is that a bit of like patriotism in there?
3: Um, no, I don't think so. I think it does appeal to. I mean, season is a quality. Um, that I would hope that all Finnish people have inherently. Um, and I think the film makes a really good case for it and shows what it means to have it. And the film declares it as this white-knuckled form of courage and unimaginable determination when all hope is lost. But it's it's a very fun film. It's pretty gory. <laughs> Yeah, it's very gory, very violent. And very entertaining. I'm not saying that it's a perfect film. I did give it five stars when I reviewed it.
0: <laughs> no, whoa, 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 I'm not saying it's a perfect film, but I'm giving it five stars.
3: Is, yeah. No, it's, it does what it sets out to do incredibly well. I had a blast. It's 90 minutes. It's, it's pretty good. It's up there.
0: You had me at 90 minutes there. But I think most of us can agree that Fast X was not very good. But say that was a Finnish film, would would that like add 20% for you? I'm just trying to work out what the level of bias is. No? No, I've always
3: been weirdly ashamed of being (laughs) from Finland. And it's only sort of this year that I've started to kind of embrace it. And I think Cecil was a huge part of that for me.
0: I look forward to an influx of positive reviews from Finnish listeners. I'd just like to point out, I love people from Finland. If anyone's like thinking of Dan voting the podcast based on Maria. Go on, Ryan, throw
1: one in. Let's have one of yours. Oh God, which one do I go for? Pick number two of your list. Well, funnily enough, that's the creator, which might seem like a bit of a left-field choice, given that it wasn't a massive hit and the reactions to it are a bit mixed. So this is Gareth Edwards, return to filmmaking almost 10 years after he made Rogue One. The, the, um, be- the best of the more recent Star Wars films. For my money, definitely. Yes. I think it's, it's my favourite Star Wars film since he's bought Lucasfilm. Um, and I think it's telling that so much of the TV output actually looks like Rogue One. I think that's kind of a... A good thing for Gareth Edwards, given you know how, how he left that film and you know what that kind of did for his reputation for a while, given that it was sort of said that the film was taken away from. Anyway, the creator, um, it's a great sci-fi film. I thought it's a five-star genre film. I say as a sci-fi film, it's, it's intelligent, it's exciting, um, it's stunning that it was it looks so good given the budget that it was made for, and also I've not seen many people sort of engage with it in this way like. But it's actually quite subversive. Uh, I won't give away the ending, but if you actually analyse what the ending is and how you could read it, it is actually quite subversive, especially given this year's conversation about AI and fears about AI and, and what it means for the future of humans. Um, yeah, fantastic film, I thought.
0: I don't think that's a very contentious choice, really. I think that I think that one gets through fairly easily. It Um, had a very good trailer as well. It it was
2: Aerosmith's dream on in the... I like that very much. I almost like that more than the film, I'm afraid, Ryan.
0: Ryan just gave a a lovely couple of minutes there and you just had to come in and spoil it at the end. I I saw what you did there.
4: Yeah, I think Edwards, I find really interesting because he has, since Monsters, he definitely has a look to his films. Hmm. Has been widely adopted and now turns up in virtually everything. The... I mean, I know he established the Godzilla look, which was then ruined quite a lot <laughs> by the two follow-up movies, but the Apple TV series has gone back in and lent quite heavily. That monarch? Yeah, on, yeah. His, on his style. And the idea of lived-in worlds that, that look post-apocalyptic, I think he went a long way to establishing like the ideal look for that. Um,
1: yeah, that's what I love about the creator, actually, is, is some of the ideas that he comes up with in this that are just brilliant. Like, there's a there's a robot that is kind of a bomb and a robot. It's like a massive barrel on legs, <laughs> and it just runs into the middle of a battlefield and then explodes. It's, it's so bizarre, and it shouldn't work, but it does. I think um, he's, he's
4: just great at that sort of thing. Building monsters with the signs and the general sort of the very lived-in aesthetic of it, I think, has become universally adopted now, and he should get cre- more credit for that than he does. Well, there's no one whose film views I tend to
0: agree with more, apart from pretty much everyone else on planet planet Earth, than Lauren Miles. So come on then, Lauren. Let's have the first of your, no doubt, incredibly contentious three choices.
5: Well, all of my picks are actually films from first-time feature writer-directors.
0: Don't try and, uh, and justify it. Here we go.
5: I'll start with the recent one, which is *Fan*. Oh, is that was great. How disappointing. Bill Jinping and Sam H. Freeman. It is great, yeah. It is
0: actually great, yes. You're I, agreeing I, with me. I, I, yes, I just need to take another tablet.
5: <laughs> uh, so yes, Ung Chin Ping and Sam H Freeman have written and directed this together, and they did a short of the same name in 2021, but this kind of expands on the idea and takes a, a different turn as well. starts with a really good drag show, which is always a plus.
0: And okay, then are, are we adding that to our, our, our list of things that we want from films? So, huge explosion in the first 10 minutes, some nuns, and now a good drag show. Okay. We are making, we are putting together the ingredients for the next, next Fast and Furious film as we go. Anyway, carry on.
5: Come
3: on, get Vin Diesel on the
5: phone. <laughs> cool. Uh but, but yeah, after that, it takes a bit of a dark turn with, with the main character, Jules, played by Nathan Stuart Jarrett, gets attacked mm. by a gang of kind of ultra-masculine, homophobic guys, led by George Mackay. And then... Um, he sees him again in a gay sauna and sees a chance to get revenge. And the thing I like about the story and where it goes is, is it could so easily be clear-cut, victim, villain, but it doesn't go down that road at all in, in that both characters kind of have sympathetic elements and they also have you know, bad aspects to their characters. Even Jules, the main character, goes down a bit of a dark road in trying to get his revenge. So, yeah, it's just a really good, twisted, kind of neo-noir thriller and, yeah, just an excellent first-time feature.
0: Well you loved the short film as well, didn't you? You're a huge fan of that, I remember.
5: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was really good. And it was really good to catch up with the directors again mm. down the road.
0: I I'm still not quite over nasty George Mackay. George Mackay's supposed to be lovely in everything and, and now he's not. And that kind mm. of that kind of changes everything. Right.
1: I'm I, 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 I with
0: with a heavy heart I turn to John Moore, who, who's still keeping the dog under control, and we've already rejected Strays as a possible candidate. Go on,
4: John. Um, I'm going to uh, challenge James on the latest film of the year to be... To make uh-huh. it. I thought you were going to challenge him on The Pope's Exorcist, because <laughs> that would have been a fight I'm ready to hit. I'm always there for Russell Crowe and an interesting accent. Uh, but I'm. <laughs> Tell gonna, him to his face. I'm going to talk about uh, What happens Later, a Meg Ryan-directed film, which is essentially uh, a two-hander between her and David McCartney that happens in a dreamlike airport terminal and has been part of a weird thing that I've had this year about uh, I suddenly enjoy films where two people just spend the majority of it talking to each other. What Happens Later is very much for the Gen X generation, which I generally am. Uh, I very much felt like I had been targeted by this film where they take two people uh, that were instrumental in my youth and the movies and media that I liked put them together and made a bittersweet, unromantic sort of comedy. As I said to Simon, I'd very much been exotic Marigold hoteled by this film. I felt extremely old. It was almost unfair uh, when they started talking about, I don't know, seeing the Pixies in the early 90s. I won't spoil it too much. It is really, really lovely. It is has a very off-kilter sensibility to it. You're never quite sure whether what's happening is real, imagined, dreamt, or just a sort of fever dream of a, of a movie. I really, really loved it. I probably shouldn't have. Uh, I've watched this film
0: too, actually. And for the most part, I agree. There is a mystery over who is the airport tannoy man who yes. has an anonymous credit. And so there's still some... Mis- I kind of thought it was 1917 in an airport that you were just, just following them round while they, they, they're bickering for a long time, just without gunfire and the war going on in the background.
4: I think the most telling thing you can say about it is that the final title card says, For Nora. And I think Meg Ryan very much wanted to make that kind of film, a Nora Ephraim film. And, yeah. and she's gone out and she's done a very, very good job of it in a, film, in a year where it's been pretty good the Nora Ephron movies that aren't Nora Ephron
5: movies.
0: I'm going to I'm going to interject with a companion piece for them, then. I'm going to throw in one of my choices, which is and it's one of my absolute favourite films of the year. It's Rye Lane, which came out right at the start of the year, and this is directed by Rain Alan Miller, also another feature directorial debut, a British feature directorial debut, and another brilliant one. And this has that Richard Linklater thing as well, that we're following the characters of Dom and Yaz as they're basically walking around London. It starts in a gender-neutral toilet, which I thought, that's a nice thing to annoy all the people you probably want to annoy. And and as a starting point, you can almost imagine the glee in in putting that script together. There are a couple of things I really, really, really love about it, but none more so. You talk about being targeted, John. Um, At my age, a film that comes in at 90 minutes or less is like Bloody Christmas. Yes. And Rye Lane, the credit started before we got to 80 minutes. Now, I'm old enough to remember going to watch Look Who's Talking 2 in the 1990s, which is a, one of the worst sequels I've ever sat through. And Look Who's Talking 2 ran for 81 minutes, including repeating the entire opening credit sequence from Look Who's Talking 1, which went on for about five minutes. So you've got about 75 minutes of new material. Uh, new Inverted commas. I remember feeling cheated by that and thinking what kind of person would want to film that short? The answer to that now is me. Um, Ryan Lane is, again, I don't want to tell you much about it. I just thought it was an absolute joy. And if you kind of mixed up Nora Ephron with Richard Linklater, mm-hmm. I think you've sort of got a little bit of the tempo of the film. So that that's that's one of mine. And I think they're, they're an interesting double bill.
4: Has anybody got past lives on their list? past lives anyone do we not put which is a brilliant film
0: but clearly not so you're not allowed to talk about it yet. does it have does it have uh, nuns in it it does not have nuns. that's why it's not on the list
2: it was actually my favorite film of the year and i assumed someone else would talk about it so it's on the list. So, so what
0: is on your list james so next on
2: my list i've got bottoms um of course, which you have. Is, of course i do Uh, which is directed by Emma Seligman uh, and co-written by uh, Emma with Rachel Sennett. They worked together on Shiva Baby, which was uh, a very stressful looking film that I've not seen um, (laughs) from two years ago. Uh, It stars Rachel Sennett and uh, Ayo Edebiri as a couple of high schoolers who set up a girls-only fight club in order to wrestle with cheerleaders, essentially. One of my favourite films of the last five years, I think, is Olivia Wilde's Smart. And this is a very similar setup, but you almost couldn't have two more different films. It's joyfully spiky. It's quite provocative in the way that it, that it really leans into the Fight Club element. You've got lots of close-up bits of, uh, of people just punching each other incredibly hard in the face um, and walking around school feeling so overpowerful and empowered with big smiles happy music playing in the background while they've got slints up their nose and broken limbs and that sort of thing there is a big fight at the end with a, a rival football team which is one of the funniest things i've seen all year and it's just I, i'm a sucker for a high school movie and it's a really unique and sort of special high school movie and yeah, it's lovely
0: who else has seen bottoms
3: i have seen bottoms
0: did you like bottoms as well
3: I thought it was okay. I feel like there was a lot more potential to do something a bit more outrageous. It's a it's a film that thinks it's more scandalous than what it is. But I do applaud the effort.
0: Well, I'm going side by side with James here. I like bottoms as well.
3: Of course, you like bottoms, Simon.
1: Are we are we
2: adding bottoms to our? Uh... Growing
1: Fast and Furious script. Why is it called Bottoms? As somebody that hasn't seen it, is it is, is, is there many there bottoms go. in it? That's the I, elephant in the room question, isn't it? Go for it, Ryan. I, I, I think explaining this,
2: Ryan, would um make us put an explicit warning on on the podcast. Um, if you
0: do that, I, I found this out this year. If you do that, there are certain countries this podcast won't allow won't be allowed to be released in. Ryan, how badly do you want to know about Bottoms? Well, we can edit this out, can't we? Can't you just bleep it? Or no, no, no. Well, if you're going down, you're going down. Blimey. Oh, <laughs> well, that's
1: it. I think you've already got us banned from at least six countries, just like
0: Finland. We should be all right, though, with Maria. And, and you finished listenership. M- Maria, have you got something other than bottoms you can tell us about?
3: Well, I think this is a good time for me to bang on about what a great year 2023 has been for women. I mean, you already mentioned
0: it's really riding... your link to that going from bottoms.
3: Yeah, obviously. Okay. obviously.
0: Men have Why bottoms not? as well.
3: Bottoms, obviously, Emma Seligman. Um, we mentioned past lives. Barbie is currently the highest grossing film of the year, and the only, you know, Greta Gerwig is the only woman to have made a billion-dollar film, which is incredible. But what I'd like to talk about is women talking. Okay. love women talking. The
0: Oscar-winning women talking.
3: Exactly. And for good reason. I feel like it kind of got brushed under the carpet when it came out in February in the UK. But it's a work of tremendous empathy, and I remember watching it last year and being completely floored by it. And how compelling a film that is literally just a group of women talking to each other about whether or not to leave or to stay in a community where the men consistently and constantly abuse them and rape them. And I remember being, you never see these attacks, which I think is a very, very smart choice on Sarah Polly's um, direction. But it's it's an incredible, incredible film. And even though it did win the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, I don't think people talk about it enough. So I really want to highlight that and encourage people to go and watch it.
0: There is a little bit of a trend for this that you get very acclaimed films at awards time that just don't get any kind of tail to them now. Because I, I looked at, I, I don't know if you remember Till from last year as well. I thought Till was extraordinary. There's extraordinary. not been a DVD release of it in the UK. And yeah. I, I just went looking for it. It's just like th- th- there's just an absence of it. And, and I agree with you. I think women talking has virtually disappeared from conversation. But you have resurrected it single-handed in Maria. Its fortunes have turned, apart from the Oscar. Ryan, you like Hello. people talking, don't
1: you, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, um, yeah. So my second film is um, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is, um, I think most people know what this is. This is Martin Scorsese's latest film. Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, who's amazing. Um, It's a fantastic film. I won't go over the plot because it's absolutely massive and there's Wikipedia, but it's a film about evil and greed. I think one of the things that's important to highlight about Scorsese's films is they're deeply moral. People kind of get in a panic about his films sometimes, about, you know, dwelling on violence or things, or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think that that his films always have a moral core to them. And this one, especially, I think it's considering he's a director in his 80s, I think it's amazing how. Angry and urgent his filmmaking still is, and how experimental it is as well i mean this, this this film at the beginning has an awful lot of backstory and context to to impart, and it does so so casually with kind of little pieces of newsreel footage, you know shot in academy and all this kind of thing and it, it, it's it's ingeniously done, and it's just yeah, it's just a brilliant film i know I know some people have said you know oh, well it's 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 too long, it's three hours twenty six minutes, which is only a little bit longer than. Avengers Endgame and shorter than the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think I, the complaints about its duration, I think, are a little bit bit moot. To be honest, I, I, to me, it flew by. I thought, I thought it was just a stunning. Well, I, I saw it with you, and neither of us went to the
0: toilet, which at our age was quite something. But also, you're talking about the uh, the economy almost of the setup. I don't know if you remember Casino. Where mm. the Scorsese, I'd, I'd be interested to see what Scorsese would do with Casino now, because the first hour of that is really heavy voiceover, isn't it? It's just, mm. it, it's just a lot of telling you things. I really love Casino, but I agree with you. It's just like the the opening of Killers of the Flower Moon gets over an absolute ton. What,
2: what I would say about Killers of the Flower Moon is, I think I'm listening to the audiobook at the moment, and the audiobook is, I think it comes in about seven, it's about seven or eight hours, and considering the amount of material that sort of could have been cut. I do feel like Killers of the Flower Moon is a little on the long side. And that's not because I don't like a long film, because I, one of my favourite Scorsese films is The Irishman, which I think is near enough the same length. But I think The Irishman needs that length to tell sort of the expanse of the story that it's telling. I think Killers of the Flower Moon does drag on a little bit for me. Obviously, it's still a very The Irishman is a, a way, way
1: draw. worse than Killers of the Flower Moon. The Irishman is... I, Infinitely worse. I think uh, we may also have that to agree to disagree. I, the Irishman I... is, is based on a book which is a complete pack of lies as well, which is slightly unfortunate. I don't know if Martin Scorsese knew that when he was making The Irishman, and didn't mind. But Alleg- Allegedly, if the author of the book is, <laughs> is, is a thing. There is, there is there is lots of evidence to suggest that he was not at every major event in the 20th century yes. like Forrest that... Gump. But anyway, Okay, so, so
0: we're just libeling potential murderers. Gotcha. But not for the first time in my career. I wish that wasn't true, but actually is true. N- that notwithstanding, <laughs> Lauren, Lauren, save me from like being sued.
5: Yep, changing the subject. Um, yeah, so I guess f- further to Maria's point about it being a really good year for women, uh, I caught up last week with Fair Play, which is the feature debut Ooh. of Chloe Dumont and, um, on Netflix. So anyone who has a subscription can watch that. They should watch that now. But yeah, I guess it's it's kind of going down the lines of the old erotic thriller, which we don't really see much of anymore. Um, and it's Phoebe Dinever and Alden Ehrenreich, who's very good and should be in more films. And um, yeah, just a really twisty, kind of horrible thriller where you've got a couple who work for the same firm and um, secretly because they're not actually allowed to. And she gets a promotion over him and it kind of wounds his pride and that kind of, opens up this rift between them that turns really nasty and violent and it's just kind of a real edge of your seat thing. It is
0: horrible. I do agree. I mean Maria you've seen it as well, haven't you?
3: Yes. And I interviewed Chloe Demont for it and it was a brilliant chat.
0: Would you like to tell us some of that?
3: <laughs> I could do, you know, I could be <laughs> persuaded, I guess. No, I think it's it's a it's a it's a really it's a really clever film. One of my favorite bits of what me and um Chloe talked about was how emotional the men are. It's usually women are kind of trained and it's it's seen as a weakness of how emotional we are and it's used against us. But in this film, quite early on, somebody gets fired and they throw a massive tantrum. And that's kind of a a brilliant sort of through line is that the men tend to be more obnoxious and emotional and keen on throwing tantrums, but it's always used against women. And I, I love how there's this constant fight, a power dynamic and a fight for the power that extends from work to the home and to the bedroom. We all know that I love a bit of filth. It's no secret at this point. Well,
0: people who've not heard you on the podcast before, this will be fresh news. But yes, I, I think it is worth noting that whenever a film that's slightly on the fruitier side crops up, it's either Lauren or Maria who tend to be uh, sticking their hands up for it.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. But uh, again, Lauren and I, we have exceptional taste. So there we go. But no, um, yeah, I definitely agree with Lauren. It's it's such a good film. And another one that's kind of gone unnoticed a little bit.
0: That's the Netflix problem now, though, isn't it? I mean, I, we're recording this on the day that Netflix has released like 18 trillion lines of data as to who watched, watches what. I think, is it the night manager from years ago is the most watched thing on Netflix? And most of the films just seem to, they get two weeks of noise and then and then they're just completely gone.
5: One more note for anyone who did need convincing on fair play. It also has a very nice little chunk of screen time for Eddie Marson, who is just excellent in everything he's in.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I do wonder what the version of that I, 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 in the in the eighties and nineties that would have been directed by a man. It probably would have been directed by Paul Verhoeven, and it would have been a radically different film. Um, he would
3: have had nuns as well, probably.
0: Well, he did a nun film, didn't he? Ryan right. was Benedetta. His nun film. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's right. right. Well, there we go. So, so maybe history, should, not, not all advancements are, are to the benefit of films. So fair play with added nuns is to is to add to the list. Sister Act 3 is coming, I think. You know, we, we could do some kind of crossover there. Um, John. John. Yes.
4: Um, at this point, I was going to speak about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Part one. <laughs> well, which had the biggest shock ending of the year. Uh, And I literally guffawed when it said coming part two, coming in May 2024. Which it isn't. Which it it was abundantly obvious Uh, as a film that sounds like it had a horrific production and wasn't exactly very nice for a lot of the people that were working on it for them to and changes were being made right up until the last minute and beyond the last minute of that film being released, uh, that they put that up on the screen is frankly hilarious and frightening. But I'm not going to talk about across the Spider Verse because if nobody else is going to talk about well, it, I'm going to pass live because it's absolutely no. You've done just just on uh, the uh, on
0: across the Spider Verse. You said beyond the last minute that changes were being made. Was this like kind of Cats level of stuff where mm-hmm. they're issuing the upgrade patch to the cinemas?
4: Apparently, the the digital releases have changes and things that were not you know not in the film. Uh, people like were picking stuff out right up and right up beyond they were getting different versions, different cinemas and different things were being seen by different people. And then there were some further changes made, I think, for the digital releases.
5: Yeah, it was treated as Easter eggs, wasn't it? Like people seeing different versions are going, oh, cool, I saw this slightly different scene. But I guess it's it's a question as to whether that that was the intention or whether that was the narrative to whether it was edited post-release.
0: That's context again, isn't it? If a film is widely acclaimed, it's an Easter egg. If it's no one called the upgrades to, uh, to cats Easter eggs, did they? No, that's just like, let's, like get, let's, get the, let's get the wristwatch of Judy Dench. I mean,
5: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
4: That, that's an Easter egg. Yeah, I want to talk about past lives because... I want oh, it is great. Um, Celine's song, debut uh, film, playwright, writer on Amazon's Wheel of Time. Um, basically, uh, out of the blue i guess creates the most uh bittersweet deeply affecting reflection on getting older the paths not taken just how amazing new york looks on film cross-cultural barriers even in a world that's shrinking and how you never really escape the formative years of your life and i mean uh, wow what a film. It's took me a long time to get around to seeing it. I've seen it in the last week. So if I sound like it's all very fresh and affecting, it is very fresh and affecting for me at the moment. But to produce that kind of drama without ever once being mawkish or sentimental or taking up any of the tropes that those kind of storylines often fall back on. I mean, what a piece of work. Every character in that film, well, there's three main characters, but to make the three main characters in that film both entirely relatable, likeable, understandable, and you care deeply about them, all of them, by the time that you finish. Yeah, I mean, just what just, I wouldn't say, I I haven't seen it enough to know if it's a perfect script, but but that's quite an achievement i think uh, and it should be applauded and and to do all of that and to still create something that is visually arresting and uses its environments as a character and as a special effect just just great just great filmmaking it does the anatomy of a fall thing as well anatomy of a fall is
0: a, is a masterpiece of a movie but it presents the film in multi multiple languages and in I, I found in anatomy of a fall i found it in past lives as well that really uh got under my skin a bit more than I, I i was expecting it to because a lot of the time we talk about exploring cultures on film but we kind of ignore the language of it but hearing actually like the, the authentic authentic language for the separate parts of the movie i just thought with I, I think anatomy of a fall actually does it superbly absolutely superbly really affects the film a lot i think it affects it in past lives as well
4: I just want to shout out the the framing device of past lives Mm. the voices at the start which set it up as something much much lighter than it turns out to be and also pass a comment on um how we can take these very personal things and turn them into jokes and treat them lightly but that but once you dive into the you come back to that moment at the end of the film, and you realise just what is on the line. While these two people that you've heard at the start are joking about it, it manages in a very simple way to say a lot about how unempathetic people can be in the in the world in general. In this sort of culture that we have of observing other people through social media and things like that. Yeah, I mean, just just what a, what a movie! What a great movie! Well, I think that that neatly brings us
0: on to the Expendables Four. Um, <laughs> What I,
3: it's no one's favorite film of the
0: year. It's no one's favorite film of the year because what I, I, when I was considering this list, I thought about all the. I really should put Anatomy of the Fall, uh, uh, Anatomy of a Fall, on which I thought was was superb. But I've got an, a, a loyalty to people like Jason Statham, um, which which has run like it's run like in a stick of rock right through my career has been have been his films. And what a piss poor year for him that The Expendables Four. Crap! Yeah, the last sorry, Fast and uh, Furious I do, film. I
2: do have to correct you. It's uh, Expend. Four, no, no,
0: no! It's um, the Expendables Four. It's called the Expendables Four. I, I love David Fincher Seven. It is a masterpiece. However, there is an argument that it started all this shit of putting numbers in titles. Just call it Seven. No one calls it the Seven. No, the seven and unless actually, they're coughing. Yeah, seven oh. se- no. No. so a uh, fast and furious 10 i thought that was crap although ryan you i mean as you've noted there's a moment in fast and furious 10 that deserves like bringing up where jason momoa just goes a little bit mad
4: oh,
1: painting the fingernails of a corpse it's fantastic <laughs> yeah. um it was nearly a dvd outtake apparently they didn't know until they were editing it that they were actually going to put it in because uh, it's kind of one of those on the spot scenes it's the best bit of the film of a terrible film
0: and and so when Jason Statham lets you down there's only one other person in those circumstances you can turn to and that's Gerard Butler (laughs) and Gerard Butler did not make his finest film this year but someone's got to make a stand for the old way so going in my list and, and suck it up is plain because you know we are talking about some incredible films here films I've absolutely adored they'll win Oscars we're talking about the progression, we're talking about the breakthrough of so many uh, incredible filmmaking talent. Then you get to Plane, and, which is a, a title straight away that's been designed for the short attention span generation of which I'm rapidly becoming one. And my favourite bit of Plane, this is a, a little bit spoilery, um, so I will give you a second just to tune out. My favourite bit of Plane is where they run out of plot after about an hour And so you've got Gerard Butler, who pilots his plane, then he lands his plane, then he shoots a load of people. And then they're like, what can we do now? Let's just get back in the plane and take off again. And I I knock a Ford so hard at a moment in a film when they decide, it's like the bit in Con Air where they suddenly start to drag the plane out the sand as if like seven or eight people with a load of rope they didn't have before could possibly pull anything of that way. So in terms of pure joy, it was right there at the start of the year. The kind of crap that, that cinema is rightly fueled by and is hugely entertaining and it's Friday night full on. Um, I, I'm going to go for playing. Is anyone arguing before I edit you out?
2: I actually think it's been quite a good year for uh, complete nonsense. I've got a, I've got a handy little list. Um,
0: could i've completely difficult. bypassed deliberately meg to the trench because i love ben wheatley and i love jason statham and i sat through that film and i was nearly weeping well we'll again
2: we'll have to agree to disagree on that sign because when jason statham takes a harpoon out of his back and it makes the little ching noise um like he's pulling out a samurai sword uh i applauded
0: No, the version of Meg 2 that should have been made should have had a 15 or an 18 certificate and when the sword came out of his back, not only did it make a cute little noise, I wanted blood vessels going. I wanted a gusher.
2: Well, I also like the sequence where he uses his deviated septum to uh, go at uh, beneath the mariana trench without a diving suit um i enjoyed Lovely. that very much but it, it was a very good year of nonsense there was m Fregan. there was evil dead rise that was very good i have talked about it yet No, no, not nonsense uh, well
0: it's mm, it's a lot of goo it's um, also called megan It's, also no, called it's called m. Fregan. M. Fregan megan's um, really good though it is, that's not it is, nonsense it, it, no it's well it's it's not it knows it's nonsense and it's
2: very good nonsense it's top tier uh, fine wine nonsense um, what? it's fine wine nonsense simon the Pope's Exodus, which you already mentioned. Uh, Thanksgiving, which Eli Roth's new film. No one's seen that, but it's very nice. Have I said Cocaine Bear? I have to say Cocaine Bear again. That was very good,
1: very silly. Did you like playing Ryan? That's more up your street, isn't it? It had a man hitting another man with a hammer. So I did like it. it was a really big hammer as well. Like, yeah. huge. Like, you know, the ones you get at fun fairs where it sort of rings a bell and it, it hits the top of the thing. It hits a man with one of those. It's brilliant. It's like Donkey Kong or something. Uh, yeah, right. no, I did like it. And it, <laughs> I think it's the most incompetent airline. Yes. In cinema as well, which I think needs to be highlighted. And you do it's, it's interesting to um, contrast the, the the plane crash in this with um, Society of the Snow. Uh, I know they're two very different films, but I think Society of the Snow shows how terrifying a plane crash can be. And the one in Plane kind of just is a bit more, just it almost seems fun. Someone like, <laughs>
5: dies, Ryan. A woman died in that plane
1: crash. Two people did. They hit the ceiling, didn't they? Was the FBI guy hit, uh, bounced off the ceiling. And then didn't they? And then, yeah, it was one of the like three air hosts on the on the whole plane. And one of them, I think, did she get hit by a shopping trolley or something? I can't remember. It's something really he, random.
5: She breaks her neck on the back of a seat when she falls down.
1: A bit like, right. That's right, because she unbuckles at the wrong time, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah.
5: Sorry.
1: Yeah.
0: The finest, Sorry, the, the, the finest vehicle crash of the year though was Dead Reckoning Part One, wasn't it? When, when by the end of that, they're lugging chip fat and a grand piano at Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> as, I, I mean, I, again, I'm not making that up. Uh, Maria, give us, give us your final choice. <laughs> Rescue this again. Is it as good as Plane? Whatever it is,
3: um, I'm a bit worried that this is going to get you some downvotes because my final choice is Babylon.
0: Oh, Babylon's great.
3: I thought so too, but there is a lot of people who do not think that. A lot of people think it's a one-star film. I think it's a five-star film. It's beautiful and it has a lot of filth, especially in the first 30 minutes. So already a winner in my eyes. But also I love how it's simultaneously in love with Hollywood and this old Hollywood specifically, but also very disillusioned by it. And I think that's a very intoxicating mix for a film, and obviously a great cast—Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Diego
0: Calva—it's perfect. Perfect. It's not perfect. Mm. It, it's, it's not perfect.
5: perfect. It's got a frame from Avatar in it. That's, why, that's why it's not perfect. It.
0: Laura Moss smashes it at the pot.
5: as per yeah. usual.
4: Yeah. As yeah. a fan, of the period. I mean, I, the references of of all the stuff like the Roscoe Arbuckle thing and all that kind of stuff that comes very early in it is just—I love it. It's and, yet,
0: and yet, in a statement of intent, not only do those references come early, they're preceded by an elephant shitting all over, uh, shitting all over people. Yeah.
3: Again, that's why it's you know it might be my film of the year, but it also kind of came directly after we had a lot of films that were very much these love letters to cinema, like The Men's and Empire of Light and Belfast to some extent, and they were very you know romantic about the big screen and. Th- the ending of Babylon is very similar to that. But yeah, hmm. there's an elephant shitting violently on people. So, you know.
4: That would have been a very a
3: different
0: point. cut of The Fablemans, wouldn't it?
3: Arguably like... better.
0: Oof. You really are going for it. The ending of The Fablemans is amazing. I love the ending of that.
3: But it would be improved by an elephant shitting, wouldn't
0: what, it? What film wouldn't?
3: Exactly. That's my whole point.
0: Okay. Uh, oh, God. I say this with a heavy heart because he's just grinning at me. He's grinning at me, James. What one more on your list that doesn't involve the Pope?
2: I've changed my answer
0: then. Um, no. So uh, you said at the start that I was bringing
2: the high, the highbrow, the highbrow um, element to this podcast, and uh, I wish I'd known that before I talked about the Willy Wonka prequel and the the bottom film. But i I'm, I'm actually going to put in our first documentary into the vault called Hello Bookstore. Um, it's a a lovely documentary about uh, a man called Matthew Tannenbaum who's an old hippie that lives in Lenox, Massachusetts. He bought a bookshop called The Bookstore in 1976 when he was 29 years old, 10 days before his 30th birthday. And I was reading another review of it just before we started recording and the reviewer pointed out that it's the only documentary they've seen that ends with a reading list. And I think that really sums up sort of how lovely and warm and just gentle the documentary it's directed by adam deck and in in a way it's sort of it's quite a familiar story of you know it's a lovely little independent business on the rocks covid happens which doesn't do any favors it's running out of money will it be able to survive um but most of the film is just spent listening to matthew tannenbaum this lovely lovely old man telling stories about Books and booksellers, and he quite often he's reading passages from books. It's not always clear when you hear his voice start, whether he's regaling someone of a story about his life or the story of one of the books they've picked up or if he's just reading a passage from a book. and he clearly just loves reading and he loves people. His bookshop has a little wine bar in it, and he just sits and drinks with the regulars for hours and hours and hours. It's a lovely, lovely film, and there's so many moments where Someone walks into the bookstore, they're they're just browsing, looking for recommendations. He sort of looks them up and down and then with a nice little twinkle in his eye. He says, I know just the book for you. And that is, it warmed my heart. And it's very similar to, in sort of a tonal way, to another documentary from last year, which I, I know you liked, Simon a bunch of amateurs. just about a Bradford Cinema Club. But no, it, it it's a, a lovely, lovely heartwarming documentary. And I don't think enough people saw it. It appeared in, I think, June this year. and um, Went to a couple of cinemas and then um, sort of disappeared into On Demand. If you can track it down, just watch it and be overjoyed.
0: That's a lovely recommendation. Sadly, when you said reading list, uh, I, my head just went to the start of Saltburn, where think... he sat there and then said that he's read the entire reading list and Saltburn is just... Well, a film we're not going to discuss much, but I'd just like to point out I take showers, not baths. Just just putting that out there.
4: Um, John?
3: No, you know. Right.
4: Uh, my final choice is, I cannot justify this choice. There is. I love it already. No, there's no scale on which I can justify this as the best film of the year, but in terms of something that I 100% enjoy, I want to talk about Shin Kamen Rider, uh, which was a Japanese film uh, created by Hideki Anno, who is most famous for creating Evangelion. The impenetrable series of anime, which finished finally after 20 odd years, a couple of years ago with the third Evangelion film, which I finally got to see this year as well. So I want to talk about his weirdness a little bit. Uh, Shin Kamen Rider is the third of his kind of Shin series, new New Godzilla, Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman, which he wrote but didn't direct because he stopped being involved with that film in order that he could move on to uh, Shin Kamen Rider, which is which is based on a uh, tokusatsu series from Japan, which is kind of like a, a kids' action series. Think of like the A-Team or whatever. It's kind of like that kind of status in Japanese culture from the 70s and um, basically uses these things like Godzilla and Ultraman, Kamen Rider, as a vessel to talk about the things that Hideki Ano likes to talk about, which is what is the nature of being, what is the soul, how do we um, how do we find happiness, the rise of fascism, just these overarching themes that he manages to work into everything that he does, couched in silly anime nonsense which i love live action film with egregious use of computer graphics and some great not great special effects it knows exactly what it is it does very very weird things with the camera it has its own unmistakable personality about it which shin godzilla did shin ultraman which comes in the middle of the three obviously has the same themes underpinning it but is nowhere near as interesting to watch as either of those films and which says a lot for the slightly unhinged brilliance of anno and 100% here for it and i'm looking forward to seeing whatever his mind comes up with next yeah can't justify it it's not oh you just have we'll let you have that so i don't think any of us
0: any of the rest of us have seen it um you've hammered us into submission. Lauren.
5: Uh, so yeah, my last one, I, I wanted to dig something out from the beginning of the year because I think... Was it played? Movies, No. Okay. I think that they sometimes get a bit unfairly forgotten amongst all the recent stuff. So I picked Polite Society, which I love. Uh-huh. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, yeah, just really fun stuff. So it's another debut writer-director, Nidamanzor. And um, yeah, it's, it's an action movie. It's a film about sisters. It's a film about family and and overcoming other people's expectations of what you should do with your life. And so, yeah, it's Priya Kansara stars in it as Rhea. She's an aspiring stunt woman. That's where the action comes in. Ritu Aria is a older sister, Lena, who's kind of like a dropout failing artist type. And, yeah, one of the things I really loved initially is it gets that sisterly bond right. And I've got personal experience where that's concerned, where, where you love them infinitely, but you also want to throttle them at the same time. And it's a film that gets that.
0: I, I, I've seen some of the action in polite society, and I, I agree, the action is amazing. Are you just saying you want to kick the living shit out of your sister? No. OK. Yeah, it's probably worth putting that on record. Already this podcast is attracting more legal attention than, than I'd like. So, she was very specific, Simon. She, said she was. Uh, fair point. So in terms of action, I mean, Maria, you've, you've suggested Sisu, and then we've got Polite Society as well. Is that as good as the action cinema got this year? I
3: think it's up there. I also tremendously enjoyed Polite Society, and like Lauren said, it really gets that sisterly bond quite correct. But yeah, I think... We also have something like John Wick Chapter 4, which I thought, even though it's very much not my kind of film, the action set pieces were great. And I can't think of any, well, no, actually, I can think of a terrible, terrible action film, which we've already mentioned, which is Fast 10. But overall, I think action cinema in 2023 has been rather good.
5: Mm. I think yeah. it's been a year for silly violence, hasn't it? Yeah. Been, there have been fl- films that maybe take themselves a bit too seriously. Like I, Personally, I did think that Chapter 4 of John Wick, it did drag on a bit and it was a bit self-serious. And Polite Society is more like, this wall is clearly made of paper, let's chuck someone through it. And that, that's just fabulous.
3: Mm. Also, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which was a beautiful end to James Gunn's trilogy and the best Marvel film we've had in probably <laughs> since Endgame they've really struggled with their films but it has one particularly good action set piece which is just in a hallway and again something that's a little bit silly but also just kicks ass which is all we could ever ask for in an any action set piece
0: i will throw in on the action side um out of birmingham patriotism as much as anything else mission impossible dead reckoning part one because i thought that really put in a shift and i, I re-watched that last weekend and w- one of the key reasons I love it is there aren't that many films shot in Birmingham where I where I live. Steven Spielberg came here once to make Ready Player One when he was looking for a future dystopia shithole to film in, and it's a, it's a genuine, true story, he came to Birmingham. He wanted a pile of crap that hadn't been seen on screen before, and so he picked a particular area of the city. With Dead Reckoning Part 1, we were all really excited Tom Cruise was coming to town. Um, it turned out they redressed Birmingham New Street Station as Abu Dhabi Airport, and um, we nicked Tom Cruise's car as well while he was in. So, you know... As you th- do. I, oh. I It wasn't
4: me, Governor. Uh, and <laughs> corridors... The Venice scenes of... Uh, it's incredible, Dead Reckoning. They put in a shift, right? The Venice scenes of Dead Reckoning, fantastic. Um, oh, Pom Clementi off again. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Shout out to Rita Aria as well. Managed to get into Polite Society and Barbie movie this year. I mean, she is absolutely killing it.
5: I mean, who wasn't in Barbie? or? I, I, I
0: wasn't. Gerard Butler wasn't. I looked.
5: And you're a bit salty about both, clearly.
4: <laughs>
1: Ryan. Ryan. Hello. You, you, tell us your third choice. Um, well, it, uh, I was kind of a bit torn. But, um, I've, uh, the obvious one was Oppenheimer initially, but then uh, I found out that um, Talk to Me, even though it sort of was a festival film last year, was only released this year in the UK. So I'm, I'm going for Talk to Me, which is a great, lean, ninety-ish minute horror, brilliantly directed by Danny and Michael who It's their debut, even though they've been making YouTube videos since they were kids, and they're the sort of people that can't resist hitting each other with chairs. They did. They did a lot of backyard wrestling videos. So to have them go from that to what is actually a really interesting, quite mature, very off kilter to horror film it is it's quite fascinating. It's probably it makes my list because it, I was so surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it to be this interesting to look at, this disturbing, this freaky. A brilliantly performance from Sophie Wilde. Um, I think she's going to be a big star off the back of this. Uh, it's it's atmospheric. It's uh, it's actually has teenagers teenagers that talk and feel like teenagers. Characters that you care about which yeah, you don't yeah. always get in horror films. Yeah, like I say, it's it, it's one of my surprises of the year. Ryan, did you watch the first
0: hour of Haunting in Venice? I did, yes. Which, by most of my horror, uh, my the horror experts I know are declaring it not a great year for horror. But the two things that have come through are talk to me, as you've just said, and the first hour of Haunting in Venice. Are you roughly in those camps?
1: I'd, I'd like to see Haunting in Venice directed by Danny and Michael Philippi, to be honest, because I think they're, they're better directors of horror than Kenneth Branagh is. I think, I think that um, I, the problem I had with Haunting in Venice was the editing and the use of lenses it's a good film it's, it's a good murder mystery i enjoyed it i like all of them but yeah as if you if you look at it as a piece of horror that first hour it is it's not as good a piece of genre filmmaking i would argue as talked talk to me if you look at it shot for shot but that's just my opinion and you loved oppenheimer as well i did like oppenheimer a lot um, yeah a brilliant film um, right. but i then you know i think the interesting thing is you know we were kind of expected we'd have been surprised if Oppenheimer was a load of pants coming from from nolan And like I said, that's the interesting contrast is because, you know, Nolan is this very urbane, um, very crisp intellectual filmmaker. And then you have the Philip brothers, I think they're brothers anyway, uh, punching each other at press conferences um, and doing all these strange pranks and everything. And it just goes to show that great filmmakers come in all forms, all classes and from all places. You know, they don't necessarily have to dress like bankers to be brilliant filmmakers. Do you think their press conference is a Ridley Scott standard? There's <laughs> more violence. Um, I think, Ridley yeah, Scott, yeah. Scott's more verbal violence, isn't
5: he? <laughs> don't. You'll get James started on the podium.
1: Oh, you will get me started than
2: Napoleon. I, I was actually going to mention it when we were talking about action sequences, because I do think it's not—it's a different sort of action, but the battle scenes in Napoleon, uh, I, mean, I can see Simon has uh, ducked out of the frame uh, in protest, but Napoleon is great, and I won't hear anyone else say, well, I haven't heard anyone else say it's good, actually. Um, I seem to be <laughs> its biggest fan. Everyone I speak to says it's two or three stars. I think it's five stars. Uh, a horse gets shot with a cannon and again n- napoleon makes weird little horse noises when he wants to have sex and i don't know wh- i don't know what more you could want from from a film
0: but personally I agree, a I agree film where someone doesn't make weird little horse noises when they want to have sex that would be yeah no, no, my, I,
2: no, I wasn't no,
5: just- expecting to come away so disturbed but yeah that that haunts me
2: yeah well that's that's just your opinion. but i i do i do agree with you right i'd love to talk to me i do think it's the best horror film of the year by a long way. Um I I spoke to the Philip rovers for for the website and th- they didn't punch each other while I was there, but they were they were great fun. And I think we're getting to a strange point where films are almost afraid to set themselves in the modern day because no one can figure out how to do phones properly on the screen. But then between Talk to me and another film we haven't talked about, Dumb Money, which came out early mm. this year, um I think we're starting to just about starting to see filmmakers sort of trying to approach sort of modern-day stories and make sort of almost like modern-day period pieces um, that really that's always, the episode.
0: That's always been so, though, hasn't it? I mean, you go back to David Fincher's Panic Room, which is a film that was almost undone by the invention of the mobile phone to the point where they have to kind of write that in a little bit to get around to it. They've always
1: kind of battled technology a little bit. Yeah, that's I a, think... I mean, horror was always about people... There was a fun excuse for people to be out of signal somewhere, yeah. did not they? You know, yeah. Yeah, the I, I, like
2: I, I know... Um, the Duffer Brothers, when they're making Stranger Things, they always said for the first season, oh, it's great in the 80s because uh, no mobile phones and radio signals uh, on walkie talkies were terrible. So whenever you like, you can just say, oh, you can't get through and then that yeah, solves the plot for you. So it, it, it is hard, but I think it's it, it, it does feel like this year we might just about be getting a few people making the effort and doing it, doing
0: it really well. There's a film, is it, is it 20th Century Women that, that was deliberately set in 1979 or something like that just because they wanted to get, I, I mean, I might have got the date right. It's a tremendous film that no one talks about. Annette Benning's in it. And um, it was just that. They're setting it in a time so that they can sidestep technological problems. So th- th- there's always a around. So I'm going for a '70s-set yeah. film, ironically enough, which is uh, for my last choice, which is "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," which is a film that really I think is the worst marketed film of the year. Because I say this as someone absolutely not in the target audience of that film. I'm neither a teenage girl nor was I reading Judy Bloom books like 40, 50 years ago. Um, I am, however, a huge fan of its director, Kelly Freeman Craig, who did a film in 2016 called The Age of 17, which I thought was a tremendous John Hughes kind of influenced teen movie that actually had a bit of bite to it. I'm also a huge, huge, huge fan of Rachel McAdams, who I think is one, one of the finest actors of her generation as, as a comedy performer as well. So what they got with Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I'll go plot light on it. It's just the way that they kind of angled it was they'd made it with a rating so that teenage girls could go to it. And and I think it's a PG-rated family movie, which is really, really, really rare. A live action one anyway. It's a bit of a bugbear of mine. So they kind of got caught in... Who do you aim it at? The people who are reading a Judy Bloom book in like uh, in the seventies, or a teenage girl now, and they promoted this film that I, I would have thought they'd go for the latter group really, with like a really seventies font and a really seventies marketing campaign, and it just—I I, mean—the film just came and came and went. There was there was a lot of build up to it. There's a lot of noise, but I think it cost thirty million to make, took twenty million at the box office. Nobody seems to talk about it at all. And it's it's a real, real, real delight. I went into it knowing nothing about the book, knowing nothing about the background, really, and was was completely taken taken away by it. It's one of the uh, it's one of the few live action films this year as well that I can sit with my kids and watch, and they will ask questions about it that are actual conversations, not related to why is Russell Crowe on a motorbike and, and exercising things for the Pope or anything like that, and. I mean, it, w- w- lots of us have talked on this about the films that we think people have missed out on this year, because we could have led with Barbie and Oppenheimer. And we I, I don't think there's anyone on this on this chat who doesn't love films like that, who hasn't. I mean, in terms of blockbuster cinema this year, have a look at the Take That musical as well, Greatest Day, what uh, really underrated and lost and then dumped on Amazon Prime like four, six weeks later, because it had really good weather in the UK the weekend it was opening there are films falling through the cracks. And so I wanted to pick one while subtly getting another one in there. And that's it for me. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which even on DVD and stuff, is already been discounted. I'm amazed it's got to DVDs. So that's good. You can go and see it on Amazon Prime Video if you have a subscription. Yeah. And I, I think all of us feel passionately about these are the films and the filmmakers who deserve the light on them. You know, Ryan, you were talking about Gareth Edwards there and how the creator, as much as it was backed by a, dis- a Disney budget, and the trailer was was big, and so it, it didn't really feel like it had the oomph behind it. And once it had had its opening weekend, the the discourse just kind of disappeared. And I just don't think it should. Hopefully, when it gets to Disney Plus, that will change it. But we're kind of clinging to that quite a lot with some of the films we're talking about here, apart from the the, the papal one. Um, is there Before we round this off and say nice things to the people who've suffered us this far, are there any other films anyone wants to name-check that haven't been name-checked that we should, otherwise we're going to get shot?
2: I don't think anyone's mentioned uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie oh, that's, that was good fun Matt. It, it was great fun I think again like you were saying it's uh, in terms of I think it is actually a, a 12A but in terms of sort of a PG family adventure movie I think it, it's hard to get much better uh, I think it's been a really good year for comedy in general actually Because uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was directed by uh, I can't remember the names but it directed uh, The Game, Game Night, Night Team um, yeah Game Night Team brilliant film um, Theatre Camp as well it's mm-hmm. another sort of comedy that sort of came and went under the radar I think that is on some streaming service now but that's fantastic. <laughs> it's um, Disney Plus. Um, and because no one else will mention it because uh, everyone hates Wes Anderson for some reason. Uh, I loved Asteroid City. I thought Asteroid City it was uh, just my co tea. It's very Wes Anderson-y. There's a little alien um, who I would like to be my friend very much. Um, and Does the alien make strange noises when people have sex? The alien makes no noises, actually. He's a completely silent alien, but I he mean, is that's quite strange, okay. He's stop motion. Um, uh, I'll mention Chicken Run 2 briefly. Um, and then get back to Ashford City, but it, it looks beautiful. It's uh, a really, I think it's a really special film. I think it's, where well, Anderson's the best film since. Ooh. I'm going to say Moonrise Kingdom. I, I, I absolutely
5: loved it. Speaking of aliens, I would just like to drop in Brian Duffield's No One Will Save You. That's yeah, another like one. It. it got dropped on Disney Plus, wasn't even on the front page, totally buried and forgotten, but it's a home invasion film with an alien and it's a real classic X-Files alien design. And, yeah, just on a small budget, small film, not much dialogue, if really any at all. But just a really good kind of capsule film that's just a brilliant genre film as well.
1: You are um, a fan of that, weren't you, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. Kate uh, in... Diva is, is great in it. And yeah, like Lauren said, virtually no dialogue at all. So it's almost like a return to Jewel or something like that, you know, things Spielberg's film in, in its sort of economy. Yeah, it's really thought-provoking as well at the end. I won't spoil it, but it's, it's um, yeah, really interesting genre film.
3: I'm going to throw in May, December, because that's now out.
4: Yeah, it's terrific, that.
3: That was a very sobering, piercing script and a brilliant watch with no weak links in its cast.
0: Yeah. Very, very upbeat films you're picking, Marine. Extremely unnerving little film. It really was. And the one other thing I'm going to throw in is uh, not the film itself, but the performance in it. I wasn't a mad fan of M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, but I think the emergence of Dave Bautista as a leading man has been quite extraordinary that I remember What was the Bond film, Ryan, where he was just in there just to lump shit out of people? Was it Spectre? Spectre, yeah. Yeah. And so he's gone in, what, less than 10 years from being cast as, the, I mean, the wrestler-turned-actor, cast as the someone to go in and smack seven shades out of someone and be a threatening, imposing presence, to a really nuanced and ambiguous performance. And I think I, I was listening to, uh, it might have been on Kermode and Maya's show, someone wrote in and just said, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that of the of the wrestlers-turned-actors, it wouldn't be Dwayne Johnson we'd be talking about as the real charisma and the real acting lead. And that's no slight on him but it's Dave Batista. He has turned into a really, really unpredictable actor. So cast him in more things, I think, particularly if you're going to have so many shades of grey to the character. I just thought he was he was exceptional in that. Films not much comedy.
4: A pair of glasses
0: really well. I wear a pair of glasses really well too. This has been, I mean, this has obviously, as everyone who will leave us hugely positive reviews will will back me up, has been a delight. I thank you all for your time. And uh, if you'd like to throw in like a, a Christmas movie or, or something at the end, feel free. Um, I'm going for Kenneth Branner's In the Bleak Midwinter. If you've not seen that, that that's my my Christmas movie of choice at the moment. I've got the look. Oh, they're all looking at me like they're Home Alone people. You're not Home Alone people, are you? It's Prometheus.
4: Right. Day, every day.
1: Prometheus. Yeah, it's a, a Christmas tree.
4: film.
1: yourself <laughs> Elba's shown dressing a Christmas tree on a spaceship in that film. Okay. So technically a Christmas film. Any advance on
0: Prometheus?
3: Black Christmas, both versions.
0: What a, what a daft question. I, I I knew you were going there. It just leaves me to say then a big thank you to, uh, to a, a delightful bunch of people and to Maria, to John, to James, to Lauren and Ryan. And on behalf of everyone at Film Stories, thank you for supporting, reading, listening, doing all the things you do. We wish you a lovely Christmas and a very movie nerdy New Year, hopefully with more popes in, hopefully with more exorcisms and hopefully with Gerard Butler landing more planes. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Do, you want, do you want to do a unified bye that's a bit better than that? <laughs> take all uh, right. take care everyone thank you for listening and bye-bye
3: everybody.
0: and that is the end of our review of the year episode of film stories thank you so much for tolerating it it's not the last episode of film stories of the year we have audio coming your way from our very special kenneth branner event so that's going to be happening hopefully get that just before christmas but for now, I'm going to leave you in peace. We've got more films to watch and more stuff to prepare. So, uh, if I've not bored you completely, if we've not bored you completely, you can find more from Film Stories on Twitter, if it's called that at the minute. Uh, that's at Film Stories. We're at facebook.com slash online, youtube.com slash filmstories. Our website is filmstories.co.uk. That is updated regularly, every weekday. with Movie news, reviews, features, games, TV, abundance of things that we're putting on there. At the the moment. You can subscribe to our magazine. You can buy copies of our print magazine if you go to store.filmstories.co.uk as well. As always, if you like this podcast, please feel free to leave a review, ideally, a hugely positive review, and subscribe at your podcast home of choice. That stuff really helps too. You get the podcast early and ad-free. If you go to patreon.com/slash Simon you find out the gossip of what we're up to behind the scenes. But that is it now. That really is it. I am winding this episode up. I'm going to get an enormous cup of coffee, which I intend to enjoy. And I'm going to bathe in some more Gerard Butler films. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your time. I'll be back soon with another bunch of film stories. Bye-bye.